Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode we're going to be recapping the divisional round, going to talk about what every team that has been eliminated should be playing for and you know striving for going into this offseason, whether it be acquisitions, um, just overall mindset, draft picks, all that stuff. Going to cover that with all four teams that were eliminated, starting with the Bills ending with i guess the jaguars doesn't really matter what order i do it in and then we're going to preview the cha this championship weekend games coming up this weekend um really exciting matchups there so i'm sure you guys are already aware of who won what's going on so let's talk about my thoughts let's get into it and yeah hope you guys enjoy this episode share it to your friends and family let's get right into it I'm going to start this episode by being, you know, hot and opinionated. Um, if I do sound a little, I'm not under the weather per se, I just have some allergies right now, so if I sound a little stuffed up, that's why. Um, I'm going to talk about the Bengals versus the Bills first because that was the biggest statement game of the weekend in my opinion. I mean, yes, the Giants got smacked around by the Eagles, but truthfully, the Giants were playing with house money. Um, they really didn't have any expectations to win that game whatsoever. It's impressive enough that they beat the Vikings in the first round of the playoffs. The fact that a team with this little talent won a playoff game at all is really telling to Brian Dayball. And you've got to feel really confident as a Giants fan going into this offseason. I guess I said I was going to start with the Bills, but let's just talk about the Giants really quickly because I think this will just take a few minutes. Um, the Giants overall, so they obviously have two really big free agents coming up. They've got Daniel Jones, who's fifth-year option. They obviously didn't pick up last year, so they're going to have to work on a deal with him, which I feel like will likely be around the contract, or excuse me, around the Tannehill contract range. Um, I don't think he's going to get more than like $30 million a year, but I also think he's going to get more than 20 So just because of the market, because of the position he plays, I think you do have to give him more than 20 I don't think it's going to be a very long deal, but I mean, at the end of the day, Daniel Jones has proven you can win with him in this system, and especially if you get him a few more weapons. I think that's really going to benefit him in the long run. His average depth of target was not very impressive this year. He was just more so a distributor in this system. He was um, very much a game manager. And I think that, you know, his ceiling is somewhere around that, like, He's never going to be that elite talent, in my opinion, but I really do like how they use his legs. Um, I think that really incre increases his floor, because again, maybe he's not the highest ceiling guy, but you know what you can get with Daniel Jones, especially after this year in this system. Um, Brian Dayball, you know, may come back down to earth a little bit, so I would be slightly concerned about that. But, I mean, until I see it, I, I'm just going to work with the evidence I have. The sample size that has been presented to us is that Brian Dayball greatly improved Daniel Jones as a passer, as a quarterback, as a decision maker. Um, and I think that is a really big one in this because we've seen it with Daniel Jones before. I'm not that he was necessarily like one of these toolsy guys. If you want to label, you know, quarterbacks coming out of college that because we see that each and every single year, we see these toolsy guys go really high. Daniel Jones had some of that coming out of Duke. He had a really strong arm. Um, we didn't, I think we, I don't think we quite realized how mobile he was, but there was definitely elements of that athleticism that showed through really good leader at Duke. Um, so a lot of those intangible things, you know, um, those things you can't coach were there and he kind of just brought it all together this year under Brian Dayball. And again, not with the best talent around him other than Saquon Barkley coming back and being hundred percent healthy, which again, he's another free agent in this class. It's going to be really interesting, interesting to see what they do there. Excuse me. I need a, <clears throat> there we go. 
That was a sneeze, just a little, just a little cough. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they pay these guys, how much both of these guys get, because I imagine that neither of these guys are going to be going anywhere. I think they're too important to the team and what they did this last year. And again, they were just so huge for their offense in this system. Um, I don't see a world where they really let either one of these guys go, especially because right now it feels like they have a decent amount of leverage. I've heard, you know, some people say different things about the Daniel Jones contract and what he might get. And there's a world where, you know, he hits the open market and no one's really wanting to pay him. So he comes back to New York and gets paid a little bit less. I don't think that's the case. I really think that these players have a good amount of leverage over New York's front office right now. I mean, they had their first really successful season since 2016. I don't see why, you know, you would fix something that's not broke. I just don't think that's how this organization is going to go about it. Um, I really think just the mindset of this team, and I, it's no surprise here. I really just think you have to go get more weapons on the perimeter. You have to re-sign Daniel Jones. You have to re-sign Saquon Barkley. And just hope that Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence continue to develop into one of the best interior pass rushing duos in the league. And that is becoming increasingly more important in a pass-heavy league like this one because... Edge defenders, although they're not not like they're just growing off trees, it does feel like they're a little more common to find in the draft. There's a little, there's more of them than there are true disruptors in the interior of the defensive line. So that's a really important trait. And Dexter Lawrence obviously had a career year this last year, one of, if not the best defensive tackle in the NFC. Um, maybe in the whole league as a whole, I'd put Chris Jones slightly above him, but still, I'm going to take a sip of water because I feel like my fucking throat is so goddamn dry, but we're good. So I really think that's what the Giants just need to go at this offseason. I really think that's the approach they need to take. And if they do find themselves, you know, in a scenario where they can end up with, I don't know, a Chris Godwin, who I believe is a free agent. There's not too many free agent wide receivers, if I'm being honest. I think they should definitely draft a receiver. If Jordan Addison is there at their pick, that would be an excellent fit for them. Someone who can just separate immediately and contribute immediately. Um, I watched a lot of SC football, so maybe I'm a little biased towards Jordan Addison, but I really, really like Jordan Addison. Um, and then maybe a guy, you know, later down the road, like help out your offensive line a little more, which again, I don't think is the biggest deal, but I really just think the emphasis has to be weapons, re-signing you guys you have. And if you're a Giants fan, you have to be really, really excited going forward because, you know, it was kind of looking like you were in purgatory. You didn't have, weren't sure if you had a franchise quarterback and maybe Daniel Jones isn't like the the guy going forward necessarily but hey you can win with him that's been proven so i think you've got to be excited in the very least you know what i'm gonna talk about the bills last let's talk about the jaguars really quickly because again the jaguars one of these teams they're playing with house money in this case i mean the fact that they even made it to the playoffs never mind the fact that they won a playoff game being down 27 to nothing it's just nothing short of incredible this team had an amazing season even with the, the in this very game they had opportunities to really win this game Jamal Agnew with a really really badly timed fumble in this one that really was just the backbreaker in this one but yes it wasn't too close the entire time but the Jaguars kept they did keep it competitive it was um they had opportunities to win their games and I think again a lot of this just really shows through through inexperience that was really a big difference in this game for me the Chiefs just look like they've been there done that no, no moment was too big for him. And not like Trevor Lawrence is going to be some choke artist. That's not what I'm saying. He obviously just came back from 27 nothing, But it's these games, especially, you know, in a away game for the Jaguars, that experience is really necessary. And this is a team that just 
lacks playoff experience throughout the roster. It doesn't matter what position it is, where you go through. They just don't really have a whole lot of veterans, which again, is not a bad thing. Sorry, my nose is fucked. Um, I'm going to pause and just blow my nose really quick. Sorry about that. Anyways, what I was trying to say is that's not a bad thing to have a bunch of inexperienced players together because that, I mean, in theory, you'd think that'd mean that just you're young, you're developing together, you're learning to win together. This is a culture that's all buying in. I love Doug Peterson, his creativity. I know sometimes it gets him in a little trouble because he can just be too cute with play calling and all that, but I really do like that hire here. I think it's a really good fit. I mean, obviously, anything's better than Urban Meyer. But Trevor Lawrence is really showing strides in the right direction this this season, especially the last couple of months. I expect him to continue that growth and development into this next offseason. Christian Kirk and Zay Jones were surprisingly good pickups for them. Uh, I know a lot of people were pretty critical of them this last offseason. They did pay Christian Kirk a very good amount of money for someone in that position. But, hey, he really helped. Obviously, his team won a playoff game. So, someone that is a free agent for them, that was very important. Uh, especially, you know, over the last few weeks of the season when Trevor Lawrence really started to emerge was Evan Ingram. I don't know if they're going to extend him, but I, then again, I don't know how much he's going to get on the open market either. He's one of these guys that's, he's a little bit older now. Um, you're going to have to sign to a veteran, veteran minimum contract. He just signed a one-year deal. I could see him signing another one or two-year deal with the Jaguars, but I also see how a player of that caliber would want a little more security with a different team. So I could definitely see him being on another roster next year. But I mean, I think the one major concern for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and although, yes, for the most part, they are a very young team, Darius Williams and Tyson Campbell. I like that young quarterback duo. Um, Devin Lloyd as is still someone I really believe in, even though he was honestly kind of disappointing for me this year. I thought he was going to be a lot better as a rookie, but linebacker is a hard position to immediately come in and contribute either way. Um, they are very, very, very badly over the cap. Like, weirdly over the cap for someone, for a team that has a rookie quarterback that they're not paying yet. That is slightly concerning to me. Um, it's going to, you know, they're negative in the cap space, as a matter of fact. They're negative $20 million, I believe is what it is, if the league started, like, this next year. It's something like that. Um, so they're going to have to make some contract adjustments. They're going to have to cut some people. Um, they're going to have to make some personnel decisions. But at the end of the day cap space i'm not saying it's fake and it's imaginary but there's so many ways you can manipulate cap space now it's not the biggest deal in the world it just is slightly kind of concerning because there's a lot you know there's a lot of rosters that are a lot cheaper that you would consider around the same age or around the same place in their rebuild but hey this team just won a playoff game they made it to the divisional round in their second year with this new quarterback um first year with this head coach so at the end of the day, <clears throat> over the cap or not, I would say it's a really good season if you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I think you got to be satisfied with what they did. And overall, I mean, this isn't a roster with a ton of gaping holes, right? There's not just blatantly something that needs super bad. I like their run game. Again, I like some of their weapons. I like their secondary. Their linebacker core has things you really, really like. I like Josh Allen on their defensive line. They could use a little more help with him there because I do think... I still think he's a little underrated, and I think if you got him one more guy, his numbers would be a lot better. So, I mean, maybe that's something you focus on emphasizing this offseason. But, again, I really think you need to stack up big on the draft. I think they need to collect picks, um, whether that be through trade or whatever it might be, um, because rookie contracts, are the, it's the easiest way to just manage your cap, right? Rookie contracts are extremely cheap. Um, you don't have to re-up those guys anytime soon. So I really think they need to emphasize on the draft and get a lot of picks. And I think that's going to be the way they manage their cap space or 
obviously you never know. There's like capologists now who can find ways to manipulate that shit in all types of crazy ways. So I don't know, man. I'm going to take a sip of water though. All right, let's talk about the Cowboys versus the 49ers. Um, yeah, this was, this was, this about went how I thought it would. Again, not too surprising here. This was, it was a really fun game to watch. Um, I know a lot of people were complaining about it because it was low scoring and kind of ugly, but I love that type of shit. I love the smash mouth football. Um, I love, I fucking love watching both these defensive lines play. Just both these defenses play because they're just so fast. They're so impressive to watch. And this was just a battle of linebackers um, in this one, truthfully. Fred Warner had one of the best games I've ever seen from him. And that's saying something because, you know, he's a fucking beast. But this guy was everywhere. Like, even time, there was even times when, you know, he was just near the ball on every single fucking play it felt like he was always in the right spot that interception that jimmy ward deflected right to him that doesn't happen if he's not you know extremely spatially aware of where the ball might go where he should go in that moment so i mean even plays like that where yes it wasn't entirely his doing it was a ball deflected to him he knows to be there he was there right like it's just the knowledge it's you can see it all he plays the game at such a high level and such a high level in his mind you can see it uh he really is like another luke keekley out there he's such a smart player instinctive as all hell and um i mean this was just a really fun game to watch both of these defenses fly around dallas's defensive line gave i wouldn't say gave problems to the san francisco offense but i mean to a certain they slowed them down to a really great extent i'll just say that um brock purdy had a few more of those moments where you i gotta say he's really fun to watch you really can't take your eyes off the tv when you're watching him because there's so many of these plays where it's like oh shit uh uh ah uh, and then the next thing you know he's like doing 360s and throwing the fucking ball off his back foot so i mean entertaining stuff really entertaining stuff um i'll talk about what I think about his performance and how it's going to translate into the championship game weekend um, in a second here. Once I cover the Bills um, offseason, what they should be taking, what approach they should be taking. But this isn't really the focus of the segment because I'm going to talk about the Niners, obviously. So let's, let's talk about the Cowboys for now. Obviously, um, Cowboys had a little bit of a similar situation to what they had last year. There was a, a couple clutch moments where Dak Prescott, you know, could have, excuse me, Damn, okay, that was just a yawn. That was just me boring myself. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. There was a couple moments where Dak Prescott, you know, had the opportunity to do something, had the opportunity to, you know, drive down the field, really make a statement, tie up the game, potentially, you know, get a go-ahead touchdown in this game. And there was just too many times where he, he just couldn't do it. I mean, <clears throat> there were some really, really bad decisions in this one. That first interception to Lenore, a really bad one. Because, I mean, at least the, the second one, right, where Jimmy Ward reflected it and Fred Warner was the one who ended up picking off, I mean, I can see a little more what he's trying to do, and even that, it's not a great decision. There's, I mean, just throw the ball away if you're not sure about it, right? But, I mean, you're you're the old, oldest quarterback in the playoffs, and you're looking like the youngest one. It really is telling um, to Dak Prescott. And again, I'm not saying this to just shit on this guy, because I'm wishing everyone the best, and I'm probably sounding like an absolute hater right now, but frankly, I mean, he did not play a good game, and it's... You're, at this point, you're a veteran quarterback. You're getting paid a lot of money. Um, there's extremely high pressure on you to perform because you're playing for America's team. No matter what, how much shit they get, no matter how much, you know, bullshit you get from other fan bases in the media and a lot of these people clowning on the Cowboys and all that. At the end of the day, you're still extremely relevant in the whole sports sports world, right? There's a reason why you get trolled on the internet all the time, you get talked about all the time in the media. It's because 
you're that popular. It's because that you have that big of a fan base. And I mean, to get back to his literal gameplay for a second here, he just made a, not a lot of really great decisions. I mean, the numbers say it all. He didn't have good numbers at all. 23 for 37, 37 pass attempts, only 206 total yards on 37 attempts, one touchdown to two interceptions. And then um, I will say Tony Pollard going down in this one really did hurt this team. I think he went down in the second quarter, maybe the third um, and I felt awful for him. I've been talking about Tony Pollard all year long. I started a little slow on him. I'll completely admit. I thought people were, you know, jumping the gun a little bit too much and just overhyping him a little. And then I think it was that by that Rams game. I don't know. There was there was one game I remember in particular where I was like, yeah, okay, never mind. I need to shut up. Like this guy is really fucking good, and I think he truly is better than Zeke and all this. And he looked like he had an ankle injury in this one i actually haven't looked up i should look it up because now that i think about it i haven't heard any updates about that but it did it did not look good it really looked like he broke his ankle um has tightrope surgery so i don't know i think it's yeah okay that's fucked man that's really fucked so it's not broken but a tightrope surgery i'm pretty sure yep here here it is it's to repair ligaments of a high ankle sprain so not good at all especially if you're a running back that's just Man, that sucks, dude, because he's a free agent, and I really did think some team was going to pay him a pretty good amount of money, because he doesn't have that much wear on his tires, all, thing can, all things considered. He's never been a workhorse back, even when he's back in college, he really wasn't toting the rock like that that often, and he has the ability to, not like the McCaffrey ability, but he has a really good ability of being a receiving back, which typically, you know, can keep you a little healthier, you're not taking those straight on, you know, b-gap fucking hits by linebackers and defensive linemen and having you know ankles get rolled up on in the case that we saw here even though i think that was jimmy ward which is a safety and it was in the open field that's pretty different but you get my point there's less bodies to be there and around a tackle i really thought he would have gotten paid a lot of money so i do feel really bad for him i think that the cowboys can be a little sneaky now they can probably cut zeke which i was looking at the other day even if they cut zeke it's really not fucking great like they still get like I think it's like $12 million in dead cap. I could look it up again, but I think it's $12 million in dead cap, and they're only saving like four. And people think that's ideal. People think like that's the best thing they can do in the situation, which, I mean, I get it a little because, you know, Zeke is just not the old Zeke, and he's not playing nearly as well as he used to. But at the same time, if you're going to fucking cut someone to, to lose $13 million just to save four, that doesn't seem very you know, economically sound to me. And I know Jerry Jones is all the money in the world, but he knows the cap space. He knows how that works. Um, he knows how much, you know, he might have to pay Micah Parsons in the future. He knows how much um, Dak Prescott's obviously getting paid right now. So, I mean, I think he's probably going to keep Zeke one more year and then cut him the next. But again, if he gets cut, am I going to be surprised? Hell no, not at all. Um, and then, yeah, Tony Pollard might be going out of budget is all I'm trying to say there. Um, so yeah, I guess, I mean, that's really all I have to say about the Cowboys. As far as going into the next offseason, this is a pretty complete roster. There just might be some vacancies in their coaching spots. That's going to be really interesting to see what they do there because a lot of people right now are talking about Dak Prescott and how Jerry Jones may want to move on from him and make an aggressive move for a veteran or Brady or, you know, whoever it might be. Um, I just think they're in a pretty weird purgatory where, again, it's kind of like this Kirk Cousins dealio where it's like, do you move on from this guy? He's good enough to win with, but can he really get you over the hump? We need a really good roster around him if something like that's going to happen. Um, 
and frankly, they already committed to him. It's not like I don't think too many teams would be eager to trade for him. I don't think you'd be overly eager to cut him and lose a shit ton of your money for this year slash next year. So I don't know. I I think Dak's going to be on the roster next year. I really do think he's going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I think the greatest emphasis you have to do, and I think you just realize his um, limits, his ceiling. I think you like take all that into account. I think you just go into this offseason and you try and load up your offense as best you can. I think you need another really dominant wide receiver across from C.D. Lamb because C.D. Lamb is fantastic, but Don Schultz is going to be a free agent now, and he was their number two receiver on this team. Michael Gallup was pretty much a non-factor. Noah Brown had some moments. Um, was very surprised that Jalen Tolbert basically didn't see the field all season. He was a rookie. I was pretty high on coming out of Southern Alabama. Um, and it's pretty clear and obvious that their defense is really good. On staying on that side of the ball, though, Dan Quinn will likely be gone. He's likely going to be getting a head coaching job somewhere else. And I, I think he's deserving of it. Um, I mean, he's obviously been a head coach in the past. Um, has a very, very bad taste in his mouth from when he was a head coach. If you remember, that was the uh, Falcons collapse. I think he was on the Broncos for a little bit, or with the Broncos for a little bit, too. I don't remember what position exactly he, was, he held there. But I really do think that... Um, Dan Quinn's going to be finding a head coaching job somewhere, so replacing the defensive coordinator position should be, you know, priority one for these Cowboys on top of... Honestly, priority one should probably be getting another weapon for Dak as far as receiving threat, and then priority two should probably be getting another defensive coordinator. So, Cowboys fans, that's what you have to look forward to this offseason. Enjoy another one not watching the Super Bowl. Ha <laughs> um, Not that I can say shit, because, you know, my team will literally never make it there, but it's cool. So with all that being said, let's talk about these upcoming matchups. Obviously, championship rounds, so fucking exciting. This is what we're here for. Um, can't believe we're already here. Feels like, even though I totally can't believe the teams that made it, I, the, the, we have the four best teams left in the league. I think we can all agree that the four teams left absolutely deserved it. Oh, wait, I didn't even talk about the Bills. Hold up, hold up. Damn, I almost just skipped right over it. All right, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills really quickly because I took the Bengals in this game. Um, if you wrote it with me, which I hope you fucking did, we could all make some money together because this was a dominant, dominant, dominant win by the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, not gonna not gonna talk about them too much, but man, this team is incredible. Joe Burrow is an absolute special talent, just stone cold. And I know you guys have already heard it all, so I'm really not gonna cover it too much. But I do want to say something I haven't been hearing enough of is. This offensive line played extremely well in the conditions. I mean, I think that if Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan can continue to run like this, that they like they did in this game, uh, Mixon was running for 5.2 a pop, P. Ryan 4.7 a pop. I mean, if they can continue to do that, there's basically no team in the league that can beat them. That was just extremely impressive stuff. Um, and their overall play calling was just fucking fantastic this game. Offensively and defensively, they ran... Their coaching staff literally just like completely outclassed the Buffalo Bills coaching staff in so many ways. Just perfect play calls and perfect moments. Um, creativity on defense was awesome. They were disrupting with three pass rushers. They were timing their blitzes really well. Um, and then on offense, they were taking shot plays really well. Um, I, I think at one point in the third quarter, Mixon was averaging like eight yards a carry. They were just moving people. Buffalo absolutely had no answers. And they looked pretty shook pretty much from the beginning they getting socked in the face going down 14 nothing at home in the elements when you know you're supposed to be the destined team it really looked like it took an emotional toll on this buffalo bills team we saw that at the end of the game with stefan Diggs chewing out josh allen but again 
I I can't say I'm entirely surprised. I am surprised about how much of an ass whooping this was. I thought it was going to be a closer game. I thought the over was probably going to hit. That didn't end up happening. But am I surprised the Bengals won it all? Not in the slightest. Literally not at all. Jamar Chase is absolutely incredible. We all know that. But let's talk about the Buffalo Bills because, again, we're going to talk about the Chief, or the Bengals in a second here once we talk about their matchup versus the Chiefs. We're going to preview that. So let's, let's, let's shift our focus towards the Bills, right? Um... And what they should be doing this offseason. And there's there's a few different directions I could go with this. And I really do have a few things in my notes here. And I want to talk about both of them. Or, you know, whatever they are. But, here's the thing. So, the Buffalo Bills, in my opinion, are just far, far, far too over-reliant on Josh Allen. Being incredible. Carrying them each individual week. And don't get me wrong. He's an incredible talent. Uh, physically, we all know what he can do. He can impose his will on defenders. He is an elite athlete, um, elite arm talent. None of this, you know, is news. We all know all of this, but there's only so much as a decision maker that he's really special at that, you know, separates him from others. I really don't think that's what makes him so special. It's his tools, right? It's. I talked about this earlier a little bit, these toolsy quarterbacks coming out of college. Josh Allen was literally the prototype of that all he was was just a ball of clay that you could basically do whatever you wanted to and he had it all showed on tape he had an electric arm really really good athleticism um and that was pretty much all you had to work with he didn't play in a good conference in college he didn't really show good decision making he didn't really play against elite talent but he was just an elite talent himself um, and it feels like he's kind of regressing these last few weeks. And I don't think that's entirely his fault. I think some of this has to be blamed on, excuse me, the coaching staff. I think a lot of that has to be, you know, shifted towards them because I think that although he does have good weapons, they're not excellent. I mean, I like Dawson Knox a lot. He's one of the, becoming one of the better tight ends in the league. Obviously, Stephon Diggs, top 10 receiver in this league. But, um, and even that, that I think Stephon is maybe slightly overrated and I, I know that might be a hot take and I know some people are not going to like that but I'm just not the biggest Stephon Diggs guy I think there's like I think I could easily sit here and name like seven receivers better than him um and if you don't believe me Tyreek Hill uh fucking Justin Jefferson Jamar Chase Devontae Adams um okay shit maybe he's five maybe he's five I feel like I'm missing something though um Justin Jefferson, Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase. Um, yeah, maybe he's five. Maybe he's five. Maybe I'm being a dick. That feels high, though, no? <laughs> I don't know. A.J. Brown, I might put above him. I might put A.J. Brown above him. I might put... What am I forgetting? Who is leading? I mean, Cooper Cup. I'd put above him when Cooper Cup's healthy. So that that's got him at seven now. And that's probably it. That's probably where you stop, right? Okay, whatever. This is I'm getting into something entirely different here. So my bad. Um, I was just trying to prove my point, and I kind of didn't. I kind of unproved myself. But hey, seven. I said top ten. That's reasonable. Um, I'm gonna take another sip of water. Anyways, I really think that that the Buffalo Bills just need to take a look at what they're doing um, because, frankly. They've had, like, no, absolutely zero run game all year long. I really think they need to address that problem. I like James Cook a lot um, as far as being a rotational back, but where they drafted him, I don't think it stops you from going after someone like Bijan Robinson in this upcoming draft. And I know typically I'm not the highest on 
drafting running backs in the first round, but I really do think this is a special instance where it's kind of got that, and again, this this pick didn't end up really working out, so I don't really love comparing it to this, but that year where the Chiefs drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and everyone was like, holy fuck, it's over. Like, if the Chiefs can just get a really dominant run game, no one's going to stop this team. It's a similar mindset right now because Josh Allen is just... He's being asked to do way, way, way too much, and I think he needs more help. His offensive line is not good either. That's definitely somewhere where they could look to address, and um, they could definitely do a better job protecting him. Um, But I really do think that a B. John Robinson, because, yes, you want a good offensive line for your running back to run behind, but Bijan is just so special as a prospect. He's the closest thing to Saquon Barkley since Saquon Barkley came out at Penn State. Um, that I think that just that electric of an athlete with you know this much upside and his catching ability as well He basically never needs to come off the field. He can even fucking pass protect this guy can do everything So I really think that that's someone I think in a dream scenario if you're a Buffalo Bills fan Let me know about this. I think Bijan Robinson is a perfect fit I think you have to be targeting Bijan Robinson this offseason and um, I think you could maybe even stay where you are picking now and have him fall to you and if he does take him every single time if he doesn't maybe wait to the second round and get Jameer Gibbs because I'm a very very big Jameer Gibbs guy there is a difference between him and Bijan Bijan's a little bit better but I don't think it's as gaping as some people are making it seem I love Jameer Gibbs I don't think he's getting enough hype coming out of Alabama this offseason because there's just so much talent in Alabama um but yeah the Bills need to work on a few things also this pass rush that I know Von Miller obviously out for the season. Um, and again, that's another reason why I didn't, I was pretty critical of that contract when they gave it to him, which just felt way too expensive, way too long. Um, this might come back to bite him in the ass because it's going to eat up a lot of their cap space. He's not getting any younger and he's coming off a major injury again. So that's definitely very concerning. And as a whole, their pass rush was very good all year, but it completely disappeared in this Bengals game. Just completely disappeared. So that might be something we want to address this offseason as well. Up next, let's talk about the two championship games. I'm not going to get into too much detail about it because I have been already ranting. Damn, I've been ranting for fucking 30 minutes already. Jesus. Okay. So... Again, I mentioned this before, not really surprised at the four teams that made it. I think these are the four best teams in football. I think these are the two top teams in each conference. I think the playoffs told no lies. I love what they did here. But of course, people just want to hear about my predictions. Let me pull up the spread because I should have had that up in the first place. Um, Championship weekend game spread. Um, But yeah, I don't think anyone's surprised at the teams that made it here. Um... So let's just let's just let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So the Philadelphia Eagles obviously have the San Francisco 49ers coming into town. Brock Purdy and the boys are currently two and a half point underdogs to the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that's a pretty fair spread. The over under is at 46 points. That's definitely an under I'd be looking at. I think both of these defenses are going to make an emphasis to slow down each team's run game. Um, and if that run game's not going, the explosive play is not as likely to happen. I think they go very much go co- hand in hand. Um, this t- These teams are built pretty similar where they're just they're going to beat you up in the trenches. They're going to try and move you, get play action off of it. And then next thing you know, they're taking shots over the top. Um, but overall, I really just think that, and I hate to say this because I really hope I'm wrong. Um, and Will, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, bro. 
I just like the Eagles more in this one. And it's not really a talent thing because, again, I think these are the two. Take quarterback out of the situation. Take Brock Purdy and Jalen Hurts off of these teams. I think these are the two most talented rosters in all of football, and I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying that. Um, they just they have everything. They can do it all. But I really do think the difference in this one is going to be Brock Purdy versus Jalen Hurts. And I know that fucking sucks to say. And I overall, I do trust the San Francisco 49ers coaching staff just a little more than the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff. But I think the Eagles have a better secondary overall um, than the San Francisco 49ers. And their quarterback is just better, in my opinion. Um, and I think those are going to be the, the biggest differences in this one. I think Brock Purdy... You know, might come back down to earth a little bit. I don't think he's been playing exceptionally well. He's just not fucking up games for them. And I didn't really love some of Kyle Shanahan's play calling last game. It felt like he was a little too confident in Brock Purdy, which I didn't think I'd be saying right now. But, for example, like, why are we calling empty backfields on fourth and two? I just don't get that play call. I at least have the threat of the run. At least have that, like, that there as an RPO. Or have him, you know check out of the backfield or something like that i just don't like that you're forcing your rookie fucking seventh round or whatever he was into an empty backfield on fourth and two in a playoff game against dallas's defense i mean the fact that that sentence is even coming out you're making a rookie quarterback drafted out of the seventh round go empty backfield on fourth and two in the playoffs against micah parsons and the dallas cowboys like that sentence should never come out of anyone's mouth that's just fucking stupid I don't know. I'm not an NFL head coach, so I can't really criticize, but I really do think that the mean's going to regress. I think Brock Purdy's going to come back down to earth a little bit. I just think this Eagles secondary is too good. They're too sticky, and I know that Kyle Shanahan can scheme a lot of guys open. That's what he's so genius for, but I just think this Eagles team is too fast. Um, their pass rush is too good. I think Hassan Reddick's going to be creating pressure against Purdy. I think if they can get Purdy off of his out, what's the word I'm looking for? Out of stride, off of his groove, out of his groove. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but I think you know what I'm trying to get to. If they can get him out of rhythm, um, get him out of the pocket, force him to, you know, there's too many times where the pressure is kind of coming, but not really there, and he just leaves a clean pocket. If they can make him feel uncomfortable and force him to leave these pockets a lot of times, they're going to have a really good day defensively. And to be fair, San Francisco's defense is flies around everywhere. They've got a bunch of really good parts in that um, defensive line. Their front seven's amazing. Uh, I like a couple of their pieces in the secondary, especially Chavarius Ward. And then they've got a tandem of really good safeties. So, I mean, it's going to be a really good game. And for all these reasons, that's why I think it's the under's going to hit because I think this is going to be led by run games. I think this is going to be led by defense. But overall, I think Jalen Hurts and Brock Purdy are really just the differences in this one. I don't think Brock's going to be able to do it enough on the road. And I think Philadelphia is going to move on to the Super Bowl, which, again, I can't believe I'm saying. Will, I hope you're not listening to this. I'm sorry if you are, bro. I'm just saying my opinions, man. So up next, we got the Bengals at the Chiefs. And again... Bengals, one and a half point dogs or one and a half point favorites. Sorry about that. Vegas is finally starting to, you know, acknowledge that Cincinnati owns Kansas City. And I mean, I can't say you can't, you can't blame them. You really can't. I mean, Joe Burrow never lost to Patrick Mahomes. The rivalry continues to blossom. I'm so here for it. And I think I just think it's so awesome because we're watching two dynasties literally coexist and thrive at the exact same time. And I really do think that we all know. 
Kansas City Chiefs have a dynasty on their hands. They've been the AFC Championship game, whatever it is, five years in a row. Um, and yes, they've only won one Super Bowl, so maybe some people are like, that's not a dynasty, bro. I don't care. I think it is. Um, they're an inc uh, incredible team. They're always in contention for the Super Bowl each and every single year. Joe Burrow and his two first full years as a starter taking his team to the AFC Championship game both years. Um, just stone-cold assassin in the backfield. So I think this is a storyline not a lot of people are talking about. We might see this AFC Championship game many, many times throughout the next decade or two decades or however long these guys choose to play. So I'm so fucking here for it. I'm super, super excited. Um, it's also cool stat line. So Joe Burrow's 3-0 all-time against Patrick Mahomes. The Bengals as a team are also 3-0 all-time in the AFC Championship game. They've obviously, I don't think they've ever won a Super Bowl, but they made it to the Super Bowl. Every time they go to the AFC Championship game, they make the Super Bowl. And you know what? I think they're going to fucking do it again. Give me the Cincinnati Bengals in this one at home. I don't think they're scared of no one. I think, if anything, the Chiefs should be scared of them. I mean, they've proven that they really can't beat them. Uh, and I think Patrick Mahomes' ankle is going to play a really, really big factor in this one. He obviously got rolled up on in that last game. I think if he can't move at the same level that we're used to seeing Mahomes move and he can't put nearly as much weight on it, I like Trey Henderson and Sam Hubbard to just mess up this game. Like I mentioned earlier, the play calling has been absolutely excellent for the Bengals as of recently, and a like just on both fronts, offense and defense, but defensively, they really are in a groove. I think that Trey Hendrickson's going to be able to disrupt enough in this game, get after Mahomes just enough, and I think that the Bengals are going to find a way to win this football game. I mean, until I see any different, and until I see that the Chiefs can beat the Bengals, whether it be in Cincinnati or in Kansas City, because right now the Bengals have done both, consistently until i see that i'm gonna take the cincinnati Bengals. and with that being said i think we're gonna get a, a Bengals eagles super bowl and if that doesn't end up happening then you'll hear my thoughts about whatever else matchup it will be uh, maybe Bengals niners or chiefs chiefs eagles whatever it might be um but we'll talk about that next week so that's gonna be it for me guys i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did be sure to share this with your friends and family i appreciate each and every single one of y'all be sure to follow the instagram at murphy's league for you know somewhat regular updates about episodes um you know news whatever else it might be so make sure to follow that anyways guys appreciate y'all have a great day peace out